is going to come from 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. They'll be on page 996 in your Red Pew Bible. 2 Timothy chapter 4. We're going to read verses 1 through 5. 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 5. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge, the living, and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Good morning. If you are visiting with us, and I know we've got a lot of visitors with us this morning, family members that are in town for the holidays, people passing through, we want you to know that we are really genuinely glad that you've come to worship with us. Thank you so much for being a part of our assembly this morning. Three things to be looking forward to in 2020. I always get excited this time of year because new year, new ideas, new things to implement, and, and just looking forward to what God will allow us to do if, if his will is done and if we'll just be faithful to him. The three things as a congregation for us to be looking forward to. Number one, our facilities are this close to being complete. I really mean that. I was talking to Brandon this morning. There are still some I's to dot, still some T's to cross over in our new facility. We cannot use that new facility until the city inspectors come and give their blessing upon all of it. And they have to say everything is safe and everything is good for us to be able to use. And so that process is just gonna take a few more days. So be prayerful about that. It's going to be a blessing. For those of you who have been around since August of 2018, we used to have this program called Family Circles. And every Sunday after worship, one family circle would meet and all those who were visiting with us were also invited for lunch. We're going to start that up in very short order again. It's a real blessing to be able to visit with each other, to be able to visit with our visitors and just a really good time to get to know one another better. Be prayerful about that and looking forward to that. Thing number two, in 2020, our elders have made a really, in my judgment, wise decision. What they want to do is, beginning on January 19th, that Woodrow mentioned just a moment ago, we're going to move announcements to the end of our worship services on Sundays. That's what it amounts to. And the reason for that is, we want to be, as a congregation, very, very intentional about our worship. It's sometimes hard to make the transition in between Bible class and worship. You're visiting with your friends, you're making sure that, you know, everybody's used the restroom, things like that. And maybe our minds aren't as focused on what we're about to do as maybe they could be. And so what we're going to begin doing on January 19th is having a time where someone will stand up and say, listen, let's read a passage from the Bible. Let's look at what we are being what we're here for. We're here to worship God. We're here to give honor and glory to him. And sometimes just by saying those words and by doing that, that can really help people to focus and to worship God and to honor him more. And then the announcements, if there are any that need to be made, are going to be moved to the end of our services. Communication is kind of hard in a group this size, and we're always looking for better ways to be able to do that. 
Thing number three for 2020. This is all preliminary to the sermon. Just forgive me. It's, it's the end of the year, okay? Um, I typically have changed every year, if you've noticed. I've changed how I'm preaching lessons. And what I mean by that is the arrangement, the, the, the way that I'm preaching, what the emphasis is. This past year, our emphasis has been on rise up and build. And every single month, there's been a different theme. What we're going to do in 2020, what I'm going to do in 2020, is preach a number of sermon series, not necessarily a month long. So starting next Sunday morning, we're going to be talking for about six weeks about the miracles of Jesus. As we draw closer to him, as we honor him and love him more, we can learn a tremendous amount of, of really life-changing information as we focus on the miracles that Jesus performed. And then on Sunday nights, beginning next week, we'll be talking about love and what love really looks like. It's not always what people assume it is. What does love really look like? And so those two series are going to be beginning next Sunday morning and evening, Lord willing. Later on in the year, we're going to have some other sermon series. How can I know I'm saved? Can I know I'm saved? Those kinds of questions. A sermon series on the Holy Spirit. Who is he? What does he do? What can I know about him? Those kinds of things as the year goes on. And so be prayerful about that and be looking forward to more information and updates as the year continues. All of these things are if God wills. James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. We want to put all things in his hands and we trust that he's going to bless us in these things. Open your Bibles if you're not already open to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. This is my last time preaching for this year. Eric Winkler is going to be speaking to us this evening. Looking forward to hearing his lesson as well this evening. All year long, we've been using the theme, rise up and build. There are some things that we really need to give intention and, and give attention to building. And all through the month of December, we've been focusing on leaving a lasting legacy. We want to know, as Christians, we want to know that we've made a difference for eternity in someone else's life. That's what it means to leave a lasting legacy. And the book of 2 Timothy is all about making a difference. Paul is writing to his young protege, Timothy, a preacher of the gospel himself. And Paul is reminding Timothy that there are some things that he needs to emphasize if he's really going to make a difference in the world. You know, there are a lot of people today that want to make a difference. They want to leave a legacy. They want to make an impact on the world. And maybe they think that the way to do that is by raising money. And so I'm going to raise awareness about my cause, whatever the cause is. I'm sure it's a good cause and I'm going to raise money or I'm going to raise people's awareness. I'm going to talk on all media outlets that I have access to and I'm going to make sure that people hear about this cause because it's important. Or maybe they just want to become the face of the cause. The news media these days is really good about picking out, especially it seems like young people, high school age, and making them the face of whatever the issue is that the media thinks is important for us to know about. And all of this is done in the name of making a mark, making a difference, leaving a legacy. When we read scripture, God tells us that making a difference in this world is not so much about having a huge platform from which to voice our opinions or thoughts. Making a difference is about doing the small unseen things because we are faithful to him and because we love his purposes and his cause. 
Making a difference in this world and leaving a legacy is about doing things that God says are important and then believing and trusting that even though nobody might ever know my name, even though nobody ever might be able to recognize my face, that's really not what's important because God can take loaves and fishes and he can multiply them to feed the thousands. And God can take your meager efforts and my eager efforts to be faithful to him and God can use those things to his glory. And when you read 2 Timothy chapter 4, that's exactly what you see Paul charging Timothy to do. Timothy, there is some urgency to how you're living your life. Some urgency because there are some things that are coming. Whether you like them or not, whether you know it or not, there are some things that lie in your future. Just look at the passage in 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 1. The Lord is coming. You see that? I charge you before the Lord Jesus Christ who shall judge the living and the dead at his appearing. The Lord is coming. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3, apostasy is coming. Not everyone is going to remain faithful to the Lord. Keep preaching the word. It's urgent. In 2 Timothy 4, verses 5 and 6, affliction is coming. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. If you serve the Lord, if you're faithful to him, if you are a minister, of the gospel and every Christian is called to be such, then affliction is going to come. Be urgent about what you're doing. Second Timothy 4 verse 8, judgment day is coming. The Lord is going to give the crown of righteousness to me at that day and not to me only, Paul says, but to all those who love his appearing. Look at 2 Timothy 4 verse 21. In 2 Timothy 4 verse 21, winter is coming. There are some things that are extremely urgent. Paul is in prison when he writes this book and he realizes that he doesn't have long and that if Timothy doesn't get on a boat right now before the winter begins and make his way to Rome where Paul is, he's not ever gonna see Paul again in this life. Winter is coming. One preacher said it very well. He said, some things in this life we've gotta do before winter or we're not gonna be able to do them at all. There are some things that are especially urgent for us to take care of. Well, as you look at 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning in verse 9, all the way through verse 22, when you read this passage, it's interesting because there are 17 individuals mentioned in this passage. And it almost reads like a report card for where everybody is and what they're doing. But in this passage, in 2 Timothy 4, verses 9 through, through 22, what Paul is doing is he's saying, Timothy, there's an opportunity, but you've got to be urgent about it. You've got to take advantage of it. If you're really going to make a difference in the Lord's cause, if you're going to bring any comfort to me, Paul the Apostle, you've got to do these things now before winter. And as you look at this passage, beginning in verse 9, Paul says, come to me quickly. And then in verse 21, come before winter, hurry up. Timothy, you need to be here. There are some opportunities available to you and you need to take advantage of them now. When we read this passage, it also tells us that there are some things that are especially urgent. As we live our lives, as we think about making a difference and leaving a legacy of godliness, of faithfulness, as we think about making a difference in this world for the cause of Christ, and if that's really what we want and that's really what we're seeking after, Keep your eyes open for these things. Four opportunities specifically in this passage. 
where I can make a difference, where you can make a difference. And even though the world may not give us its accolades, even though you may never make the front page of the newspaper or of your favorite internet website, you can have faith that by following these things and by pursuing these opportunities, you can make a difference in God's cause. Look, if you would, at 2 Timothy 4, verses 9 and 10. If I want to make a lasting difference in this world, if I want to make a real impact for Christ, what can I do? I can keep my eyes open for an opportunity when someone has forsaken the Lord. There are opportunities to make a difference when someone has forsaken the Lord. Look at what Paul says to Timothy in verse 9. He says, be diligent, do your best to come to me quickly. And then he says in verse 10, for because Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. Paul is in prison. He is alone. And Timothy might have asked, well, I wonder where Demas is. I wonder why he's not with Paul right now. And then a word of explanation is given. Demas has forsaken me. It's interesting to stop and think about. Demas is mentioned elsewhere in the New Testament. He's mentioned twice, as a matter of fact. In Colossians chapter 4, verse 14, he is listed with Luke as one of Paul's fellow workers. Colossians 4, 14. And then he's mentioned again in Philemon, the one chapter book, verse 24. In Philemon verse 24, Demas is mentioned among the faithful servants of God in both of those passages. He is one of Paul's fellow laborers. And so if you can imagine this, in the first century, Paul had people that were surrounding him and that were working with him that he could rely on, that he could send to different congregations and different areas to either preach the gospel to people who had never heard it or to strengthen the church or both. And Demas was right there helping and serving in all the ways that he could and he was sincere in his faith. But something happened in Demas's life. And in 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 10, Paul says, and it's interesting how he says it, Demas has forsaken me. He forsook the Lord. That's pretty obvious because Paul goes on to say, having loved this present world. But Paul doesn't say, Demas has forsaken the Lord. He says, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. Brothers and sisters and friends, don't ever get the idea that we are immune to temptation. Don't ever get the idea in your head that if we're just spiritual enough, that the world will lose its magnetism, that it will lose its pull on us. Whoever thinks he stands, let him take heed lest he fall, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12. We need to beware of the lure of the world. Demas decided that he didn't want this life in Christ. He didn't want these friendships that he had in Christ and these workers and associations. He decided that it was more important to him to pursue what was worldly, what was temporal, what was here and now. And the emphasis of the passage is this, brothers and sisters and friends. The emphasis is not, we need to go and retrieve Demas. The emphasis is, Timothy, I need you to come here. I need your help. Every single one of us, if we've been a Christian for any length of time, we know somebody who's like Demas. 
We know somebody who was walking with the Lord and has decided that this was not for them. This is not the lifestyle they wanted to live. This is not the, 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 the faith that they wanted to pursue. And for whatever reason, they've turned away. You and I have a tremendous opportunity to make a difference for good by ministering, listen, by ministering to those who have been left behind and are still striving to serve the Lord. Do you know somebody like that? They've got a loved one. They've got a family member. They've got a coworker, a friend in the gospel, and that person has turned their back on the Lord and turned their back on them. Those people need our help. They need our presence. They need our encouragement. And you say, well, that doesn't seem like a really big thing. Paul is saying, Timothy, I need you. Demas has forsaken me having loved this present world. Timothy has a tremendous opportunity if he'll hurry up, if he'll come before winter to make an impact in the life of the Apostle Paul. Notice this, secondly, as you look at the passage, look at verses 11 through 13. There are opportunities to serve the Lord when someone asks for help. When someone asks for help. You know, sometimes we miss opportunities because our eyes and our ears are not open. Or maybe if our eyes and ears are open, we explain things away. Well, that's somebody else's responsibility. That's somebody else's venue. That's somebody else's ministry. Notice what Paul does. Beginning in verse 11, he says of 2 Timothy 4, only Luke is with me. In other words, everybody else is gone. Luke's the only one I've got left here in Rome. I've got ministry I want to do. And so he says in verse 11, get Mark and bring him with you for he is useful to me for ministry. And Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. Bring the cloak, Timothy, that I left with Carpus at Troas when you come and the books, especially the parchments. When I read this passage, I find that when it becomes, when we're, when we're striving to serve the Lord and please him, there are some attitudes that we really ought to maintain. Some attitudes we really ought to strive for. Notice, first of all, one of the attitudes that's essential when we ask for help, one of the attitudes that's essential is we've got to be willing to let the past be the past. Get Mark and bring him with you for he is useful to me in ministry. Let the past be the past. What do you mean? If you know anything about John Mark, he was the one that turned away from Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey, Acts chapter 13. Mark was with them for a little while and for some reason he turned back, went back away from the missionary effort. And Paul was really upset about that because in Acts chapter 15, when Paul and Barnabas were gonna go on another missionary journey, Barnabas wanted to take John Mark with them and Paul said, no way, we're not taking John Mark because he forsook us on the last journey. We're not gonna bring him. And now, years later, Paul says, get Mark and bring him. He's useful in ministry. A forgiving heart, a willingness to recognize the good in others, it's essential for meaningful ministry in the Lord. Some of us just need to get over some things that have happened in the past. We need to get over some things that others have done to us. If there's been forgiveness, if there has been penitence, if there has been a change in life, we need to open our eyes for opportunities. Notice this, secondly, as you look at this passage, 
essential to ministry, generosity where the church is concerned. Generosity where the church is concerned. Paul has ministry, has work that he wants to do in Rome, but he takes Tychicus, this fellow laborer in the gospel, and he sends him to Ephesus. Ephesus was where Timothy was. Paul says, Timothy, I need you to come and be with me. I need you here. But Paul is also thinking about what's best for the church in Ephesus. And so he sends Tychicus to go and to minister to the saints in that place. He was willing to give up so that the church might be benefited. Notice this, number three, as you look at keys to effective ministry, Paul also recognized he had physical needs. As a minister of the gospel, he recognized that there were some physical needs that were essential to his ministry. He says, get my cloak, winter is coming, bring my coat. It's gonna be cold and I need that. You know, this is, these are the words of inspiration. It's not just incidental that this is here. God made sure that these words were here because one of the things that we're to take away from this is we need to pay attention to physical necessities when it comes to ministry. And then this number four, the need for reading. R-E-A-D-I-N-G. You want to be effective. You want to make a difference. You want to leave a legacy. You need to become and give yourself wholly to the ministry of reading. Paul says, bring the books, especially the parchments. There's a phrase in the business world. Readers are leaders and leaders are readers. What holds true in the business world especially holds true in the church of Jesus Christ. If you want to make a difference in someone's life for good, for the gospel, read God's word. Give yourself wholly to it and don't just say, well, I've already read Romans. I've already read Habakkuk. And therefore, I don't need to reread it and think more about its message and its implications for my life. Be a reader of the Word of God and read good books written by faithful sound men about God's Word. Because by doing that, your mind will be stirred, your eyes will be opened, and you're going to see opportunities in which you can make a difference for good. Readers are leaders. Paul says, bring the books, especially the parchments. He's about to die. He says in 2 Timothy 4, verses 6 and 7, I'm about to be poured out. I know that my judgment this time is going to turn out for my death. But he still wants to read. He still wants to know more. He still wants to contemplate the things of God. Does that characterize you? Does that characterize your ministry? Number three, opportunities. If we'll just open our eyes and see, when someone asks for help, Paul says, Timothy, I need you to come and be with me. There's an opportunity there to make a difference. Bring my cloak, bring my books, bring Mark. I need those things for my ministry. Are you willing to step up and help when someone asks? Number three, we find an opportunity to serve the Lord and make a difference when someone rejects and opposes the gospel. When someone rejects and opposes the gospel. Look at verse 14. Alexander the coppersmith, 2 Timothy 2 verse 14, 2 Timothy 4, 14. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. You also, Timothy, must beware of him, for he has greatly resisted our words. One of the things that really astounds me about the Bible is its brevity. 
if I'm Paul, and if I'm not writing by inspiration, I'm going to spell out what Alexander the coppersmith did. What doctrine was Paul preaching that Alexander didn't like? What issue was he talking about that Alexander thought was heinous and wrong? And Alexander decided that, that this was something he was going to oppose. What was it about Paul's message that Alexander the coppersmith found so offensive? Paul doesn't tell us. What he does say is, he did me much harm and he greatly opposed my words. And then he says, Timothy, you don't need any more explanation than that. Beware of him. Beware of him. You know, the Bible tells us that we're to have a forgiving heart. We're to think the best. Love believes the best about others. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 7. We're to pray and we're to say, God, forgive us our trespasses as we also forgive those who trespass against us. Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. We need as Christians to have that kind of attitude. And yet at the same time, we can be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Paul says, when you see Alexander the coppersmith, he's going to portray himself, it seems, reading between the lines here. He's going to portray himself as someone who is loyal to Christ, who is devoted to his cause. And I want you to know that you need to beware. You need to be careful. You need to watch out. Listen carefully to what Alexander says, because in the past, he has done me much harm. Opportunities. You know, sometimes you'll find in ministry, sometimes you'll find as you walk with Christ, there are people who will stand up for the truth. They will tell someone what's right and they suffer consequences because of it. And you know what people tend to do in times like that? I've seen it happen. Someone tells somebody what's right and they're doing it in a spirit of love. They're not being ugly. They're not being unkind. They do it in a spirit of really concern for their souls and they are mistreated and they are despised. You know what other people tend to do? That's not my problem. I didn't start that. I, I don't want to be part of that conflict. I, I don't want to get involved in that. Paul says, Alexander the coppersmith, he opposed my words greatly. You beware of him. One of the things we can do to make a difference for the gospel is to hold up the hands and to encourage and to support and to stand with those who are willing to speak the truth in love. Ephesians 4 verse 15. When there are people who must lovingly confront for the sake of the gospel, we need to rush to be urgent to go to them and say, we stand with you. I appreciate what you're doing and I appreciate what you're saying because I'll tell you what, all of us, as we strive to serve the Lord faithfully, we need that kind of encouragement. You say, well, that seems like such a small thing. God says, this is how we make an impact. This is how we make a difference. Come quickly, Timothy. Alexander the coppersmith has done me much harm. Number four, as you look at the passage, there's an opportunity to make a difference when someone stands alone for Christ. When someone stands alone for Christ. Look again, verse 16. At my first defense, Paul says, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. May it not be charged against them. What does that mean? Paul was arrested and he had to go before either the emperor or somebody just underneath the emperor and he had to make a defense. Why are you in prison again, Paul? Why are you here? And Paul says, when it came time to go to court that day, 
my brethren were nowhere to be found. There was nobody to help. I looked to my left and I looked to my right and I was all by myself. Everybody had abandoned me. But, verse 17, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that the message might be preached fully through me and that all the Gentiles might hear. Also, I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. I believe he means that literally. There was a punishment that the Romans sometimes inflicted. They would throw their victims to the lions. And Paul says, the Lord stood with me. He strengthened me. He allowed me to preach the gospel fully. And I was delivered on that occasion. But he doesn't expect he's always going to be delivered. He says in verse 18, the Lord will deliver me from every evil work. Preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Here is a man who is Christ-centered and gospel-focused. That's all he's about, and he's all by himself. Occasionally in your life, you'll see somebody in that situation. You'll look among your brothers and sisters in Christ, and you'll see somebody who is all by themselves, standing for what's right. What can we do to make a difference? We can come to their side. You're needed. You can be a blessing. You can be a tremendous encouragement. You know, sometimes our fault, our problem is, we see people with great faith in the Lord. We see people who have great confidence in God's word and in the power of Christ. And we say, that person doesn't need any help. That person doesn't need anyone to encourage them. Quite the opposite. Paul says, verse nine, do your best to come quickly. Verse 21, come before winter. Leave the ministry you're involved in, Timothy, and come and help me. This is the Lord's will for you. Brothers and sisters and friends, as the new year dawns, there are abundant opportunities to make a difference. There are abundant opportunities to help other Christians in their walk with Christ. My question for you this morning is this. Are you available when God wants to use you? And are you available to serve in the ways that God chooses to use you? Are you available for him? Open your eyes, open your ears, look for opportunities, take advantage of those to the glory of God. The one thing Paul wanted more than anything else in his life was for people to be saved, for people to know Christ and to have a relationship with him. And you know what he consistently preached about that? He consistently preached that Jesus made the sacrifice for us on this cross and that by faith in that sacrifice, faith in what he's done for us, we can have a relationship with God that will continue into eternity. Put your trust in him, repent of your sin, be baptized for the remission of your sins. That's what Paul preached consistently. And everywhere people turned to Christ in faith and turned from their sins and were baptized, you know what happened? They became New Testament Christians, Galatians 3.27. Maybe you're here this morning and you need to make that commitment as well. You want to serve Jesus Christ with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Obey the gospel this morning. If we can help you do that, won't you come while together we stand and while we sing.